former President Donald Trump was indicted today for trying to overturn his loss to Joe Biden. We have to win in November, or we're not going to have Pennsylvania. They'll change the name. They're going to change the name of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvanians have a unique role with democracy and freedom. We have seen Pennsylvanians rise up at the ballot box. The work of making this world resemble one that you would prefer to live in is a lunch pail job. CNN projects Biden wins Pennsylvania. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes. Guess what? America showed up. We are at war. The U.S. Capitol was overrun for the first time since 1814. Who could have seen this coming? Everyone. These are domestic terrorists. They're ripping it apart. Hello, and welcome to the premiere episode of the Keystone Reckoning podcast. My name is Jesse White, but we'll get into more about me later. First and foremost, let's talk about what exactly it is we're planning to accomplish here. So the Keystone Reckoning Project is designed to examine Pennsylvania politics and policy through a progressive lens. We're obviously working to help elect Democrats in all races at all levels of government. And one of the focuses we're going to have is answering the question of how do we win down ticket races? You look at what happened in 2020. Joe Biden carried the state of Pennsylvania, but we got our butts kicked pretty much everywhere down ticket, uh, despite having the resources for which we can't say uh, has happened in every cycle. So let's look at that in terms of what were our successes? What were our failures? What did we do well? What can we do better? And I think most importantly, what did the Republicans do and have they continued to do to beat us? And how can we flip that script? Now, I want to get something very clear right from the beginning, that the goal of the Keystone Reckoning Project is not to hurt Democrats. There are some amazing Democrats, elected officials, candidates, activists, party members, uh, at all levels throughout the, the state uh, that are doing phenomenal work. You know, they've really embraced this, the moment that we're in. They realize the necessity of what needs to be done, and they're doing the hard work. And they're doing it in a lot of really creative and interesting ways. I don't want to be seen as uh, as competing with or denigrating anything that they're doing. This is more about highlighting those people and their efforts and 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 helping them be successful. That's what this is about. And we're going to do it through kind of a, a parallel alternate messaging strategy, which we'll get into a little bit uh, in, in a little bit more detail here shortly. But the best way to think of what we're doing here is we want to serve as a testing ground for new ideas that may not get attention or funding for whatever reason through traditional campaign channels uh, to, to show that there are different ways of approaching things. And those ways can be successful uh, because clearly there is a need for and room for a lot of improvement. One of the questions that we've been asked a lot is what exactly is the structure uh, of the Keystone Reckoning Project? We want to make it very clear. We are a political action committee, a statewide registered PAC in Pennsylvania. And the goal is to be 100% transparent. 
Uh, we are not a dark money organization. We don't pretend to be. Everything we're doing is 100% legal and above board. And we want to make sure that we're transparent, which means people will see our donors, people will see our expenses. It'll be all out there for everybody to see. And, and that's just the way that, that we want to put this together. Uh, as far as our PAC and advisory board, we are still in the process of assembling those people for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, we want to make sure that we are taking advantage of the diverse uh, talent in democratic and progressive politics across the state. And we don't want to put together a board with a bunch of names for the sake of having a bunch of names. That's really not what this organization is about. What we're looking to do is get uh, some people that are really committed to the, uh, to the message and to the uh, style and to the approach that we are going to take, because uh, the goal is to all be rowing in the same direction. So I would assume that before this is all said and done, uh, our, our PAC board will consist of people you've heard of and people you haven't heard of. Uh, and maybe you need to have heard, need to have heard about, uh, because they need to get a little bit more exposure and we want to emphasize the good things that they're doing. So that is still a work in progress. And, uh, so if you are interested in or have someone in mind to serve on that board, you can shoot us an email at info at keystonereckoning.com. That's info at keystonereckoning.com. You can also go to the website, keystonereckoning.com, or search us on just about every social media platform. So another goal that we have with the Keystone Reckoning Project as a group is we want to play in races at all levels. So let me explain what that means. Uh, we could play in, you know, we could have a, a niche working in a statewide race. We could pick state house and Senate races. We could work at a congressional race. Uh, you know, we can work in local and countywide races. You know, I, I cut my teeth in local politics and it, it's a big passion of mine because it's one of the few areas uh, in, in local races where you can outwork the opposition, and you can run an effective messaging operation for relatively low amounts of money. So it, it, it can be kind of a level playing field. And one of the reasons it's important to do that is to build a bench. Quite frankly, you know, today's township supervisor or borough council member is uh, next year's state representative and maybe, you know, uh, next decade's governor uh, or, or member of Congress. Republicans are very good at building a bench. They uh, they embrace young people, uh, and they are not afraid to run them for office. The Democratic Party doesn't necessarily embrace that strategy. Uh, there's a lot of you know, hurry, you know, wait your turn. It's not your time. That sort of thing. And, and I think, especially with the the rise of the progressive movement, uh, which is clearly a not clearly, but I, I think has a. a, a a younger skewing demographic to it, um, but not exclusively younger, but a, a younger skewing demographic, there's kind of a fear from the old guard uh, to to let a lot of young people in the door. So what's happened is a lot of young people have just kind of kicked the door in and, and, and made their own way. And, and that's definitely something that we're going to want to talk about, uh, because I, I think it's a really interesting dynamic that the, the, the Democrats are facing statewide. Uh, and it plays into the geography of the state and, it, you know, and a lot of uh, perceptions that people hold that, quite frankly, may or may not be true. So we want to build a bench. That, that's really important. Uh, 
And one of the things that we are doing with this project is we are 100% donor funded. Like I said, we're a political action committee. We have no institutional funding, and that's by design. And the idea there being quite simple, that we don't want to be beholden to any large donor when it comes to what we talk about or what we say. Uh, and quite frankly, that's something that is a bit of a problem in uh, in in the Democratic Party uh, when it comes to certain issues. Uh, you know, th- there's things where you know we don't we don't take on the fights maybe in a way that we should because there are other folks that have other interests that are writing the campaign checks that make that difficult. So uh, we we are not going to take that approach. Uh, so in doing that, obviously, uh, we would appreciate any donations that we can get. Uh, if you go to keystonereckoning.com, you'll see that big, pink, beautiful donate button. Uh, if you could click on that bad boy, it'll take you to Act Blue. Uh, anything that you can give would be appreciated. And if you can make it a recurring donation so we can build out our support uh, in the coming months, that would be fantastic as well. So now that you have a brief overview of what the organization is and and what we're trying to do, uh, who the hell am I? Well, that's a great question. As I said, my name is Jesse White. Uh, I am a... uh, I guess, first and foremost, I'm a father. I have a, a, a six and seven-year-old sons. Uh, I am a, a husband. My wife, Eileen, and I have been married for almost nine years. And I was a state representative from the 46th district, which is Allegheny and Washington County, for eight years, from 2006 to 2014. I moved to central Pennsylvania about two years ago for reasons, and uh, and things have been fantastic out here ever since. So a little bit about me uh, to, to give you an idea. Uh, like I said, I was born in Washington County. I spent basically my entire life there. Uh, went to Washington and Jefferson College, where I got my degree in political science and my first taste of uh, political reality as president of my fraternity, uh, which I learned more there than I did in any classroom. Uh, after undergrad, I went to Duquesne University School of Law, graduated from there in 2003. In 2003, while I was a third-year student at Duquesne Law, I also became a local township supervisor in my local community. I was the youngest township supervisor they'd ever had at uh, and it was definitely an eye-opening experience into government, uh, local government, and, and, and kind of the way everything really worked. Uh, I kind of caught the bug, decided it was something I really wanted to do. In 2004, I challenged the sitting Democratic incumbent state legislator. He'd been in for 26 years and lost by about 800 votes with very little money just by working uh, working our butts off. And, and that was pre-social media, so we really had to get out there and, and, and beat the streets uh, in Lost, like I said, I lost by about 800 votes. Then the 2005 pay raise happened. The incumbent decided that he was no longer going to run. He retired. Uh, the party was still a little skeptical of me. And I had to win a contested primary and then a contested general. And then I was in for a total, like I said, of eight years. I had the wonderful luck of having my tenure in office coincide with maybe the thorniest political issue uh, of 
this century in Pennsylvania, and that was Marcellus Shale fracking. Uh, my district of Washington County is where fracking began in Pennsylvania, and it happened just about the same time that I was elected for the first time. So I developed alongside, politically alongside this industry, we kind of grew together for better or for worse. And what I learned was, uh, you know, how things how things really worked in terms of big money. We talk about big money in politics, but to, to really kind of see it up close and very, very personally, uh, what happened was there was, as time went on, uh, I started, you know, having constituents come to me with, you know, dead farm animals and things of that nature. And we started to ask questions and, and the things we uncovered were frightening, uh, mainly, uh, by about 2010, uh, we saw that Tom Corbett's administration was just engaged in some absolutely horrific uh, collusion and cover-ups, working with companies like Range Resources, which was based in my district, um, to you know lie to people about water quality and uh, and, and environmental impacts, and uh, it, it was really, really, really ugly. And for some of you, uh, I'm sure are familiar with the book Amity and Prosperity by Eliza Griswold. This was actually my that was that was basically my district and right next to my district. So th this was that area and that in that time period. So it's funny because Eliza first came to Washington County to write a book about infrastructure. She had no she really didn't know much about fracking. And uh, it didn't take long for her to see that there was a, a real narrative developing. And that became what she wrote about. And I, I probably had, I don't know, 10 interviews with her. Uh, you know, kind of off the, under the radar and, you know, just to kind of provide background and stuff. So, you know, we, we were in some really tough situations. Uh, not only were we exposing a lot of the things that were going on, uh, it was getting a lot of press, uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, you know, it, it was it was becoming kind of a big deal. Uh, and it became very difficult politically because, quite honestly, the gas industry bought off uh, quite a few Democrats in my area. And, you know, it, it got to a situation where you, you really didn't know who you could trust or you couldn't trust. Uh, and, and it was very, very difficult. And then in 2012, the legislature passed what was known uh, as Act 13. And that was a, a, an industry written and favored law that basically undid zoning protections for communities uh, where drilling was taking place. And we lost the vote. We lost the floor vote by one with about 20 Democrats crossing over, uh, which was really disappointing. And as soon as it was passed into law, uh, we sprung into action and and my communities organized. We created what was called a, Mar a Marcellus Municipal Co-op. We put everybody together and they ended up suing uh, to have the law overturned. And we won. Uh, we went to the Commonwealth Court first and then to the Supreme Court, and they they dismantled and, and ruled that Act 13 was unconstitutional in a variety of different ways. Um, it's the the right now it's known as the landmark decision It's the Robinson Township case, Robinson Township being one of the areas that I represented. 
Uh, and I was very involved in that. We wrote amicus briefs. We kept everybody kind of together and on track, uh, you know, kept the media informed and, and, and fought back against just the really dirty, nasty tactics, you know, kind of the big tobacco tactics that were being used. Um, for those of you that are environmental activists, you, you've, I'm sure you've heard of the psyops, uh, tactics that was, that was in my district. That was range resources. Uh, they, they really dug their heels in, in a way that is almost hard to believe if you didn't, if you hadn't been there. So, you know, and, and to, to kind of cap that, uh, range pled guilty to criminal charges just last year, um, brought by charges brought by attorney general, Josh Shapiro, uh, for, uh, their conduct of Washington County. That was in my district during my time in office. So again, there was a lot going on there. Let's just put it that way. And by this point, they had decided, uh, you know, we're getting laws overturned. We were getting a lot of press. We were blowing things up. Uh, Well, they were the ones blowing things up. Literally, we were blowing them up figuratively. And they decided it was just time for me to go. And they put about a half a million dollars uh, into a campaign that started well before the 2014 election, uh, they've turned to their friends in media uh, that they were sponsors with, uh, KDK in uh, Pittsburgh being the chief among them, and they just decided to make my life a living hell. And I was fighting this best I could with uh, you know no money and you know kind of a shoestring operation, and they just came after me in a way that was again almost hard to believe. Um, and they 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 just trashed my reputation. And there's no other way to put it. And uh, at that point, I saw really the kind of the darkest part of our politics. Uh, you know, I had my own caucus because they were afraid or influenced by whatever uh, the Democratic caucus uh, kind of kowtowing to the gas industry tried to get me out of office, uh, even though I hadn't done anything wrong. And they then turned around and financed a primary challenger against me using my own dues that I paid as a member of the caucus. Uh, I beat that guy who was also propped up by the gas industry. But by the time we got to the general, it was just too much. There was too much going on. They'd spent too much money. Um, and they, they just kind of run me into the ground through every dirty trick in the book. And, uh, and I lost by, I think, 2,000 votes. Uh, to Jason Ortitai, who's currently the state rep there. And don't worry, you'll be hearing his name as this podcast continues uh, in future episodes. And But after I got out uh, of office, it was funny. One of my colleagues said to me on my way out, he said, you know, you're going to be more dangerous outside this building than in it, referring to the Capitol. And, you know, it, it definitely allowed me to do, uh, you know, to, to speak my mind a lot more because I didn't have to worry about representing everybody's interest, which was very complicated in that district. Um, it was almost impossible uh, because it was such a, a stark divide. But uh, just continuing to, to do research and, and stay involved in it, um, I was able to uncover a child cancer uh, ring in Washington County just a couple of years ago, um, a, a child cancer cluster that is, you know, despite being whitewashed by uh, the current legislators and 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 some other folks in government, it definitely exists. There's no doubt about it. I, you know, I, I, I bet my life on it. And, uh, and that actually finding that out is what caused me to pack up and leave my home of at that point, 41 years. Um, like I said, I have two young boys and there was no way I could continue living there, knowing what I, knowing what I knew and allowing them to be in danger. So we packed up and we got the hell out of Dodge. And uh, I, I look back now and uh, what that area has become politically, and it really is, it's, it's really disappointing. 
Um, when I was elected in 2006, it was all blue, state house, state senate. Now it's all red. Um, county, the whole nine yards. It, it's really, it's really uh, disheartening. But anyway, uh, from all of that failure uh, and, and that you 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 learn things, and uh, I definitely learned a lot about tactics that worked and didn't work, uh, things that were done against me. Uh, you know that the Republicans knew what the hell they were doing. There's just no way to there's no way to lie uh, about it. They knew what they were doing and they executed perfectly. Um, so now what I do primarily is I do consulting work. I own my own political consulting firm called Perpetual Fortitude. And uh, I've worked with uh, I work with Democratic candidates at all levels from local all the way up to uh, we've run congressional races. And I've also done some work internationally um, for some different kinds of things that have also sharpened my uh, my toolkit, so to speak, with some of the tactics that, that we're going to try here with the Keystone Reckoning Project. Okay, enough about me. Uh, and that's the most I'll ever talk about myself in this podcast, I swear. So what is the goal of the podcast? Let's talk about that. Uh, really, what we're trying to do is have an honest and unfiltered discussion of Pennsylvania politics and policy. Again, similar to what the, the, you know, the overall project is going to do. But we want to use this podcast to kind of dig deeper and to do kind of a deep dive into different areas of specific policy, certain problems that are going to be arising, and, and just as a way to kind of learn and, and kind of cultivate uh, a, a winning message and a winning messaging strategy. So the, the format as of now, other than this first episode, um, where unfortunately you have only me to listen to, uh, is we're looking to do kind of a single guest format. So, uh, you know, I'll have one guest on and we'll do kind of a, you know, we'll have kind of a broad theme and then we'll get into some details. Um, and it'll be kind of an interview discussion, kind of a, kind of a format. So who do we plan on having on? Well, I've got a list as long as my arm, but, uh, without giving any individuals names, uh, we're talking about elected officials. We're talking about candidates, both current candidates and past candidates who may have lost their election. Uh, you know, I lost my first election. I think it's incredibly important to learn from failure. And I think that sometimes what happens is we have these candidates, they run their races, they lose, and then they kind of fade off into the ether or they go work in, uh, you know, they, they contribute in other ways, uh, you know, through different organizations or, or whatever. And I think a lot of times it's really, really useful to have a conversation to figure out what went right, what went wrong, what they would have done differently in retrospect, what did they think was going to happen versus what actually happened. I think that's a really interesting and informative practice uh, going forward. Uh, also want to have some of the, again, some of the activists that I talked about, they're doing just amazing work, uh, local party officials, members of the media, you know, obviously the Republicans love to demonize the mainstream media, you know, Democrats, you know, it, it, it can, it can be frustrating uh, because, you know, it, we can uh, oftentimes we are frustrated with the media and sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly. But I think it's an interesting perspective to hear from members of the media about how Democratic messaging is being perceived and how and what their, you know, their objective take on some of these battles are. I think that's an interesting thing to, to know. And also to expose everybody to some of the really fabulous media sources that are out there that are talking about these issues as well across the state. Uh, talking to, we want to talk to folks from organized labor, uh, you know, obviously one of the biggest constituencies in democratic politics, but 
you know, there, it, you know, people use organized labor as kind of a, a, a catch-all label, and it's really not that at all. Uh, and, and I think that that's where we can get into discussions about, uh, you know, different sectors of the of organized labor. We can get into uh, talking about, you know, where the money's going. I think some of that may surprise people. Um, and, and there's a lot of issues there that I think need to be discussed. Uh, also, campaign professionals, you know, the, the campaign managers, field directors, comms people, they're the ones that are kind of, you know, making the uh, making the, the trains run on time. And I guarantee you talk to anybody that has worked at a high level in a political campaign, they're going to be able to tell you an awful lot about what is right, wrong and needs to change in democratic politics because they're the ones on the front lines and they have to manage things that, frankly, a candidate doesn't really have to manage um, and, and you know shouldn't manage. So. Uh, they, you know, I think that they have, a, and they also, I think campaign professionals have a really good uh, read on kind of the state of play, uh, you know, in different areas in terms of what's going on. And I think that could be useful. And then finally, uh, I, I want to talk to other people from other PACs and other groups, nonprofits, things like that. Some have been around for a long time. Some are new on the scene. Everybody's contributing in some way. Uh, it, it's it's always great to help them expand their reach. Uh, and their message, find out what it is they're doing that, you know, that, that they uh, feel is an important goal and what their methods are and, and hopefully kind of help bring some people together uh, for everybody's mutual benefit. So that's the, the gist of, of how we plan on conducting the podcast. Um, like the project itself, the podcast is a testing ground for ideas. So if you have ideas for topics or guests or whatever, um, just shoot me an email. Again, info at keystonereckoning.com. Uh, one of the other things we're going to do is a regular update on who's running for what, just so, and that'll correspond to resources we have online, just so people have kind of a one-stop shop for who's announced, who's you know, rumored, who's, you know, who's in, who's out, those sorts of things. And that'll be really interesting as we head into redistricting both congressional and legislative, because that's going to, you know, that's going to dictate a lot of what happens uh, in a very short window of time. So we've got all the, the background and the technical stuff out of the way. Let's move to some bigger questions. Why is all of this important? It's really simple. The Republicans are coming to kill us. And, you know, before January 6th, I would have said that uh, figuratively. Unfortunately, now you can't do that. You almost have to take it literally because they they view politics as a zero sum game, plain and simple. And, yeah, you can make the argument that it's not everybody in the Republican Party, but the remainder that aren't that militant are complicit in by their silence plain and simple no no but they're so afraid of their own people that they won't even stand up to them um, with very few exceptions you know we all know, you know kind of who they who they are the problem is is that we're bringing a pea shooter to a gunfight and the republicans are bringing suitcase bombs plain and simple and it's going to get worse before it gets better Unfortunately, you, you, you know, you hope that with Trump out of the picture, um, at least officially, that there would be some common sense returning to the, the dialogue. That's not happening. It's actually getting worse. This is uh, I was looking at some polling. Uh, this was a, uh, a PPRI poll from June uh, and it went along with the CBS News YouGov poll in May. And 
here's some of the statistics, and it's it's staggering. Two-thirds of Republicans said they believe it's more important to be loyal to Donald Trump than to enact sound policies. The same number do not believe Joe Biden was a legitimate winner of the 2020 election. Almost half of these Republicans said the party should give up on trying to convince voters of its ideas, but rather they should make it harder for their opponents to vote. The PPRI poll asked a sample of Americans about the big lie and QAnon. This is astounding. One in four Republicans agreed with the following statement. The government, media, and financial worlds in the United States are controlled by a group of Satan-worshipping pedophiles who run a global sex child sex trafficking operation. One in four. Now think about that. That's one in four that were willing to say it out loud. I'm sure there were others that maybe agreed with it and didn't and maybe had the, the wherewithal to say, hey, maybe I shouldn't be saying this out loud. One in four were willing to stand up and agree with that insane position. Same poll says among Republicans, almost three in 10 support the premise of using political violence to subvert democracy. You're talking about millions of people. They have been so sold on this uh, on this lie and and all the garbage that Trump has spewed. We're not going to go back through it because we all know what it is. But they have they have drank the Kool Aid so wholeheartedly that we have we have really reached a point of no return. And the problem is, is that sometimes, oftentimes, Democrats. We are so consumed with being right that we put it above winning elections. And why do we do that? Because you listen to some of those numbers I just read, and you look at some of the stupidity that comes out of the Republican Party, and you just say to yourself, they're, they're just dumb. Right. They're just dumb. The, the, the people that follow this are just not smart enough to know any better, and I'm right. I know that I'm right. And I know that they're wrong. Therefore, it should all play out our way. But we know that that's not how it works, unfortunately. I mean, for the 2020 presidential race to be as close as it was is kind of proof positive that it didn't it doesn't work on a grand scale. I mean, if if Donald Trump came that close to winning. That really tells a whole lot about the underlying state of the electorate, and it's not a good thing. And, you know, the key point here is, and and I'll say this a lot, you're going to hear quite a bit, we can't govern if we don't win. I'm going to say it again. We cannot govern if we cannot win. And I think this is where Democrats kind of fall off because, and I understand it to a degree. Why do people run for office more often than not? Is they feel a, a calling? They want to. They they want to do their civic duty. They feel. Um, they they feel that that's important, and and it is. It's all that's absolutely true. And I do believe that the overwhelming majority of of Democrats who run for office do it for all the right reasons. Again, we're not trying to to step on any Democrats here. That's not the point. But, and here's here's the rub, is. 
most people that run for office don't know what it takes to win. And that's fine because, again, they're new They're This isn't something, you know, uh, you don't understand what a campaign's like until you've been through one. And the problem is there's this idea of a way you're supposed to carry yourself. It's not enough to win. You've got to win the right way. You've got to be right. And you can't, you know, stoop to their level and do the things they do and, and all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately that usually isn't enough it just isn't you know uh, republicans are really really good at this you know they 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 own the 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 bumper sticker messaging you know 30 seconds for a republican to explain what it might take a democrat 30 minutes and voters quite frankly don't have that kind of time span they don't find it interesting. They don't understand why it's so important. And it can be very difficult to bring people on board. You know, uh, Republicans know better. They, they, they know that it's about some, a lot of times it's more about the sizzle than the steak. And it is very difficult to be a candidate who truly believes in issues and, and, and policies and, and things like that. And to you're hardwired to communicate a certain way. And you, it's, it's sacrilegious almost to compromise that method of communication because you think it's unbecoming. But the problem is, Sometimes you have to do it and it doesn't mean you're compromising your beliefs or your, or your platform or anything like that. It's all about the method. It's all about methodology. That's what we're talking about here. The way that we message to people. And I've already, you know, I've had people, you know, talk to me and say, well, you know, uh, you know, I don't think this is, this doesn't, this, this is a bad idea. You know, who's, who would, you know, I, if I saw a meme, about my congressman, I, I wouldn't be impressed by that. Or if I saw a funny video or whatever, okay. But most of the most of us are political junkies, policy nerds, right? Yeah, it's not des- that messaging is not designed for you. That's the part that people need to understand. It's not designed for the people that are already with us. It's designed for the people that we need to bring over. And so you can't, again, that's where you fall into the trap. You can't discount it because it doesn't make sense to you. Because if everybody thought like you, then you'd win in a landslide, right? I mean, you know, that would be pretty easy. If everybody thought like you, then it'd be a done deal. But everybody doesn't think like you. And it's just the way things work, you know. Whether we like it or not, Trump tapped into something and forever changed American politics. And you could make the historical argument that this goes back to Watergate and, you know, distrust of the government. OK, you know, we, we can have those discussions. But the the undeniable truth is Trump changed American politics forever, or at least for our lifetime. And it was a culmination of a lot of different things, social media. And, you know, I mean, you could, you know, we all kind of know how we got here. Uh, But the problem is, as much as we wish it 
not to be so, there's just no going back. We are now being forced to play the hand that we were dealt. That's just how it is. So that means what do we have to do? We have to adapt. We have to change to meet the moment. And if that means using some of the same tactics to muddy the waters that the Republicans rely on, then so be it. You know, for example, look at the Lincoln Project, Uh, you know, not the problems they've run into, you know, uh, recently, but, you know, their original, uh, you know, the original mission that they set out on. And now Midas Touch does a lot of the same stuff. You know, they were aimed at a very specific audience. They're aimed at the people on the fringes. Uh, not on the political fringes, but on the, you know, the, the people that you know remain undecided and n- need to be talked to a different way. That's who that was aimed at. And so if you say, OK, well, there we're only aiming this at 10 percent of the electorate. OK, but that's the 10 percent we need to talk to, because that's the 10 percent that could be that could be reasoned with. You know, you can't go you, you can't talk to Republicans and, and start off from the premise that you're uh, that I'm smart and you're dumb. Right. It's like telling someone, uh, you know, to calm down. How many times in the history of, of humanity has telling someone to calm down worked? Right. It just doesn't work. Let's be honest about it. So it's a situation where we figure out a way to communicate our message in a different tone in a different medium, in a different style. And it's a way of basically slipping the Republicans their vegetables without them realizing that they're eating vegetables. This is not a new concept. But it just, it it, it looks different. And I think part of the problem is because the Republicans do it, Democrats feel that they shouldn't. Right? And the problem there is that the Republicans, again, they're masters of messaging. I mean, think about it. They'd have to be. Because how else could you, you know, could they still have the, you know, the, the kind of stranglehold they have on our government with their insane policies or lack thereof? I mean, they, they are some of the, the, the great messaging geniuses of our time, uh, you know, as much as we hate to admit it. If the Republicans campaigned and messaged like the Democrats do based on the Republican ideas. I mean, they'd have like four seats in Congress. You know, they're smart enough to know that they've got to, you know, what they tell the public to win an election and what they do once they're in there are a huge disconnect. And again, we don't have to go all the way down that road. We don't have to be disingenuous. We don't have to lie. That's not what this is about. This is about letting people know about these clowns in advance in a way that will resonate with them plain and simple because what we've got to do is and this is part of the analysis of why did we lose down ticket races in 2020 you know think about it you had these big organizations like lincoln project and everybody else doing all of these ads and and social media hits and viral moments that were based on the presidential race biden wins pennsylvania we don't do that statewide and we get our butts kicked up and down the ballot. Is it connected? Is it a coincidence? I don't know. It, but it's certainly something worth examining, for sure. You know, one of the things that we need to do is give voters a reason, a real reason to vote against the Republican state rep or senator 
and it has to be kind of an uh, an ongoing effort to get a cumulative result. One of the big problems that we have, and if you've ever been involved in a campaign, you you, you know how this works, uh, state house, state senate specifically, is you know they do the polling in you know August or September, and then if you're going to be funded, they start with the messaging. Well, the problem is, is that you can't you can't go after somebody at, at the eleventh hour when everybody's so fed up with political messaging anyway, because everybody, you know, there's so many elections going on. That's not the time to do it. In a lot of ways, we need to have campaigns before we have candidates, which will also, by the way, help us recruit better candidates, because if we have a weakened incumbent, Republican incumbent, then it becomes a hell of a lot easier to recruit a Democrat to jump into that race if we've already kind of softened the ground. But the Republicans, through you know, taxpayer-funded messaging machines, you know, through the caucuses, have an extremely effective way of reaching out to people, and they get to shape the narrative however they want. You know, there's this idea that I talk about about a red fog, which are areas in the state where there are no Democratic uh, elected officials. You know, there's a there are congressperson, state house, state senate, all Republicans. So, what does that mean? That when it's time to do things like the state budget or when certain laws are passed, the local media only has one side to go on, right? You can't blame the media for that. You know, when, when everybody puts out this press release talking about, oh, the state budget was this, this, and this, then that's what makes it into the paper. That's what goes into the email blast. That's what they do on their their little you know uh, uh, videos and all that kind of stuff. That's how the narrative is set. There's no counterpoint, uh, Democratic counterpoint to that in all of these areas where there are no Democratic representatives. So you get this red fog. You get this this kind of totally disillusioned idea of what's really going on. And it just builds and builds and builds, which is how a lot of these Republicans keep getting reelected. So the only way to break through that is to start early and often and call them out on their bullshit in real time. And quite frankly, make them a little miserable, you know, put them on the hook, make them have to answer for some of this stuff, uh, you know, and that's there are tactics to do that. We can, you know, we'll talk about those as time goes on, but you can't wait until a month out. It doesn't work. It's a massive waste of money. And, you know, a lot of this is quite frankly, consultant driven and I'm a consultant, but I can tell you a lot of it's consultant driven and not in a good way. Um, you know, which is again, why we need to look at some different ways of, of, of how we spend our money and, and do our messaging to people, uh, because there's a lot of money being left on the table. And again, anybody involved in campaigns can, you know, could definitely attest to that. So the other problem here, Democrats, we are far too predictable when it comes to campaigns and messaging. Republicans go to bed every night thanking God or Trump or whoever it is they're worshiping on any given day, thanking that person because they know what we're going to do and they know they can beat it. More often than not, they're going to have more financial resources. That's just kind of a given. But even beyond that, they know what the messaging is. They know what the Democratic approach looks like, and we never, ever, ever do anything different. I have been working in politics now for my entire adult life, uh, 
and I can it, it, I don't need to know the candidate or the district. But if you tell me oh, this is a tier two state house race, I could tell that person exactly how things are going to go at the very beginning and with a, a, a 95 percent chance of uh, degree of certainty. Because it's just too obvious. And you know, in a lot of ways, the Republicans are predictable, too. But the problem is what they're 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 what they do works a lot better. You know, they come in and, and it's real simple. Uh, if, if they're trying to steal a seat, they put up a candidate who isn't going to offend anybody, kind of fits the profile. They say a whole lot of nothing, throw out a lot of word salad um, in a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of their media. And then they go after, without putting the candidate's name on it, they go after the Democrat in every single way possible. And unfortunately, it works. It just works. Uh, and, and, you know, we need to learn how to defend it, how to counterpunch it, and how to uh, launch some surprise attacks along the way. And I think the first cycle that we do that, we will catch these clowns off guard in a big, big, big way. You know, one of the problems is that Democrats a lot of times are afraid, Democratic candidates, especially first time candidates, are afraid to call Republicans out on their bullshit because they think, well, that's dirty politics. That's negative campaigning. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. But here's the reality of it. If you've got this Republican who is doing bad things and voting for bad policies that have real impacts on people, that is not dirty politics to call them out on it. That is literally what you were supposed to do. You know, elections are by and large referendums on the incumbent. And I think we all get sucked into this idea that the general public pays attention to this stuff to the same extent that we do. And that's clearly not the case. You know, we know that's not true. So we it is our job to go out and tell people we have to stand on the rooftops, scream as loud as we can, as long as we can to let people know. And don't ever assume that the voters are going to put it together on their own because they're just not not to the extent that, that we need them to. You know, we've got to be willing to spoon feed people and work from the assumption that they have no idea of what's going on, because in a lot of cases, they don't have any idea of what's going on. You know, think about the, the, the different all the votes that take place in the state capitol and, and, and everywhere, you know, committee votes, amendment votes. That's where a lot of the real nastiness happens. Who the hell ever hears about it? You know, I was working on a state house race last fall just doing some consulting and I, they wanted to, to, you know, do some comparatives and stuff like that. And the incumbent definitely had some stuff we could have talked about again, you know, official, official acts that could have been criticized very fairly. And I said, well, where's your opposition research? What did they give you, you know, about, uh, you know, to talk about. And the candidate was like, what are you talking about? This was in October. Less than one month away. And they had no clue what they couldn't make the argument as to why the incumbent needed to go. They lacked the facts to be able to do it. And if you can't do that, you're gonna lose. Plain and simple. 
You have to be able to explain to somebody who knows nothing about what's going on why the incumbent needs to go. And you don't have to, you're not going to get an hour to do it. You got to have like three bullet points. Did you know they voted for this? Did you know they did this? Did you know they did that? Sure, I didn't know that stuff. Well, there you go. Vote for me. It's not brain surgery. But again, we get ourselves into this this place where we're somehow above the direct confrontation that needs to happen. Uh, you know, we're, we're we're all we feel like we almost need to like lay it out like a trail of breadcrumbs for voters to figure out. You know, and, and we can't be afraid to have some fun with it. You know, like it or not, tools like memes, you know, little videos, they are perfect for online politics, which is where a large part of these conventional wisdoms are born and, and live. You know, and again, I get it. It may not it may not be your brand of humor. It may not resonate with you. You may find it even mildly offensive. Right? But you're not the audience. You are not the audience. We already have you. How do we get your neighbor? How do we get people that we can't have as much as we would love? We can't have that traditional conversation with because they're they hear Democrat and they think AOC, Green New Deal, socialism, you know, uh, you know, pedophile sex ring in a pizza shop, whatever. And they can't get over that. You know, they, they can't. They, there's this mental block. And, you know, this is where the Republicans, again, are fantastic at this stuff. They have created this narrative about the Democrats. And we have a very hard time cracking it. And how do they do it? They are relentless. They have their talking points. They have message discipline. And, you know, this stuff just has been it has been driven into everybody's brains so much that we just accept certain things as facts. You know, like how the hell did the Republicans get a monopoly on patriotism? You know, on being people of faith. On respecting the military, even despite everything that has happened. January 6th. They turn. They they opened fire on police officers, but somehow they're the party of law and order. How the hell does that work? It's because you are fighting against a, a bias that has been ingrained for years and years and years. That's the problem that we're facing. That's the obstacle in front of us, and it is not a small obstacle. So if we could commit people from a different angle, in a different way, make them think about something slightly differently, that's a positive. You know, I, I, a lot of times I think that Republicans, you know, uh, you know, again, the question is, who are we talking to? You know, I think there are, you know, and I think we all can agree. There are Republicans out there that are watching what's happening and they're not cool with it. Right. They're just. They're like, yeah, this, you know, armed insurrection, it's a bridge, bridge too far for me. I'm just not quite there. But what's the alternative, right? 
yeah, I'm not thrilled about the Republicans and what they're doing, but I'm also not a big fan of the Democrats because Nancy Pelosi and you know Benghazi and her emails and you know whatever, right? Again, you, you have to crack that egg uh, of that 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 ingrained messaging instead of making them have to jump over a huge hurdle of of kind of what they already have been has been drummed into their head. Why not give them a little sideways shortcut to come on board? Why don't we make it easy? You know, let's be the big tent. You know, if if the if there's a purity test to be a Democrat, that basically means, you know, uh, it, you know, burning your MAGA hat and, 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 and you know, confessing your 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 contrition, uh, you know, that never works. It's not going to work for us. There are reasonable people out there, but we have to talk to them the right way. We have to talk to them, not at them. We have to do it in a way that isn't going to put us, you know, right into uh, uh, right against one another in the traditional ways. And, and, and the key is, If we do it in, you know, using these funny little ways of doing it to kind of plant these little seeds, it allows us in a lot of ways to avoid that difficult conversation, the big conversation. Right. And as much as we would love every Republican to wake up and have a come to Jesus moment and say, oh, my God, I I get it now. And, and, you know, I'm on board. A lot of people just aren't going to do that. So what are we, we, we what do we want to do? We want to give them an easy out. We want their vote. That's what this is. We want their vote, plain and simple. We don't need them to to uh, you know to you know, to to think that voting for a Democrat means joining the cult, right? Just vote. That's all. Because more than anything, we have to remember what's at stake here, and that's our shared values. You know, and what are those shared values? You know, voting rights, fundamental, right? So important. It's, you know, and we're seeing it happen everywhere now. Uh, You know, fundamental access to democracy, plain and simple. Other values, a woman's right to choose. Uh, Racial justice, you know, because black lives do matter. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we, we got our asses kicked. Um, well, no, let me let me rephrase that. It is perceived that we got our asses kicked because of defund the police and Black Lives Matter and, and some of that messaging um, in certain areas in Pennsylvania. And that's one of the things I want to get deep into and really talk about because it's already happening. It's already looming on the horizon for 2022 with critical race theory. And God knows what else they're going to come up with between now and then. Right. We've got to be ready for that. We just have to. Other shared values, the right to organize and join a union, funding for public schools, making college more affordable. Public health, specifically relating to covid vaccines. You know, I mean, that's an area where we should be able to flip the script easily. Against these morons that refuse to get vaccinated. Economic policies to help people and true small businesses instead of large corporations. 
tackling the problems of gun violence in our communities, fighting for environmental policies to guarantee clean air and water. These values are nothing to be ashamed of. They're nothing to apologize for. And they're winning issues with the voters. But unless we find a way to deliver those messages through the toxic cesspool of chaos, misinformation, and fear that now define our politics, then what the hell's the point? Again, we can't govern if we don't win. And as we've learned in the U.S. Senate, sometimes you can't govern even when we do win. Thanks, Joe Manchin. With so much at stake, the Republicans aren't going to make this easy. They play dirty. They play for keeps. They view Democrats as weak and unwilling to do what it takes to win. And to be perfectly honest, they're not entirely wrong. Given the stakes, the ends do justify the means. For some reason, Democrats handcuff ourselves to an entirely different set of rules. And while that may make us feel morally superior, it is ultimately not only self-defeating, it's just defeating, defeating. We lose. We lose. And the reality is that most voters do not give a damn about messaging and tactics. That is all inside baseball stuff. You know what they care about? People care about putting food on their table, paying the rent, keeping their kids safe. That's what real people care about. And every time we lose an election, those people lose a little bit of faith in the ability of Democrats to make their lives better because we don't deliver the results to match the rhetoric. The stakes are sky high. That cannot be disputed by anybody. Our cause is just. That can't be disputed by anybody. The opposition is dominated by corporate whores and white supremacists. And if all of that doesn't justify an aggressive all-out fight, I don't know what does. The Keystone Reckoning Project is ready, willing, and able to take the fight to the Republicans in a way befitting the moment. That's what we're here to do. And that's what we're going to do. The question is, will you join us? How do you do that? Simple. Go to KeystoneReckoning.com. Click that big pink donate button. Give what you can. Hopefully make it recurring. We will make far better use of your money than I think most operations out there. And we'll do it in a transparent way. Again, we're a pack. You'll see where every penny goes. Other things you can do. Follow us on social media. Share our content. Uh, we have a blog on the website uh, that, that we're, we're going to be building out quite a bit. Share those posts. Get it out there. Um, Subscribe to the podcast. Encourage other people to subscribe to the podcast. Give us a high rating on the podcast. All of these things will allow us to build our messaging operation, bring in more followers, more folks that are like-minded and are ready to fight. That's what we're trying to accomplish here. But we need you to do it. Thank you for listening to this first episode of the Keystone Reckoning Podcast. Again, my name is Jesse White, and we will talk to you soon.
Well, that's it then. And we've saved people the trouble of voting. What's next? Our, our point is that it's... I understood the point. We're going to South Carolina to set up Illinois. When I ask what's next, it means I'm ready to move on to other things. So, what's next? We're done. Fantastic. 